welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonia. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today, we finally get to start a new series. I've been dying to read these for the podcast because they are a true classic. Today, we are starting The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And we actually read the whole first book for this week, which is The Magician's Nephew. And for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. I've never read any of the Chronicles of Narnia, and Charles has read them all many times, so he is our rereader for this series. And it's kind of crazy to me that you've never read any of them. Like, they are iconic children's classics. Like, reading these books was probably one of my first memories of, like, reading a book on my own start to finish. Like, like I would read the whole series by myself. Yeah, I mean, I the first time I heard of Narnia was when the Disney movie came out in, like, the 2000s. That was my first introduction to Narnia. So, like, I saw at least two of the movies that came out, like, the most recent ones. But I've never read any of the books. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily excited to read <laughs> the books, but, you know, we're having an open mind. Let's go. Literally, I'm always like, yeah, fine, let's read Asia's books. Anytime I suggest a book, Asia's like, I literally hate it already before we even start. And I'm like, that is so rude. You don't even have a good attitude about my books. That's because none of them are that good. <laughs> That's because they're all classics and you just can't appreciate them because they're too deep. None of them are. Well, this, I will say, this is a classic. But other than that. His Dark Materials, a classic. Never heard the of Giver, that. The Giver, a classic. What did you say? The Giver, the Giver, just the first book. The classic. series, not a classic. Flamel, I would understand, maybe not being classic. No. Flamel and Ember are not classics, but... City of Ember, no. Well, anyway, I'm going to give us some background because this is an undisputed classic. So there's a lot to say about the Chronicles of Narnia, so I'm going to try to hit it all. But they have sold over 10 million times around the world, and they were originally published in the 1950s. They were written and published out of order of the chronology of the world. So you'll see, but basically book the first four books published were books two, four, five, and six. And when we read them, you'll see that all six of the, all four of those are written in a very similar construction. We'll talk about this down the line, but those four were written first. Then three, one, and seven were released. Now I obviously was not born in the 1950s, so I've always read them in order one to seven. And C.S. Lewis did say before he passed that he wanted them to be read in chronological order of Narnia's lifetime, which is now how they're generally published, which is why they're one, two, three, four, seven. And that's also... Question. When he published them as two, four, five, six, did they, like, have the numbers on no. them? Because I have hard copies of the book. They didn't. So, like, it wasn't until the whole series was printed that, like, he gave this order? Correct. I mean, you could figure out the okay. order, but whenever, but... Yes, it was after they were all released that he said that he wanted them to be read 1 through 7, which is when they started being published as 1 through 7. Okay, I was just curious about that. Continue. No, that's a good point. It was actually in the articles that, like, they were not published with a, with an order originally. Like, they weren't given book numbers. But this is the way they are now is what was his wish, that they would be read like this. And that's how we're reading them. Okay. That was an excellent question, Asia. 
A plus to the class for participation. Yay. So these books are classics of children in YA literature, and they're heavily pervasive throughout pop culture because of it. There have been many, 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 many adaptations over the years, including the pretty famous Disney films that were for books two, four, and five that came out in the late aughts. I believe the first one was like 2007. And the sixth book was under production for a film. So again, two, four, five, six, those are the first four he wrote. Like I said, those are the most similar in construction. You'll see why. And that one was going to be the next one to produce into a film. But Netflix actually bought the rights to all seven books in 2018. And they started planning a TV series for the whole story. So the production for The Silver Chair, which is book six, was stopped then. And actually, this is the first time in the entire history of the series that one company has owned the production rights to all seven books. So I don't know if it's still under development, or they still want to do like a seven movie or seven season or whatever plan. I don't know if that's still happening, but Netflix currently owns them. The series, just a little bit about it culturally, and it's been adapted for plays and movies and TV shows and, you know, a bunch of stuff, but the series is quite well known for intense Christian imagery. That's probably what you've heard about the most. And that's going to be heavily sprinkled throughout the series. I'm actually interested to see which things Asia and I pick up on. As listeners of this podcast will know, I was raised Catholic and Asia was not. But, like, some of these things are going to be super, super hefty that, like, anyone with Western understanding is probably going to recognize them. But this has also led to the there being some pretty harsh criticisms as well. So it's considered a little indoctrinative sometimes because it is so heavily Christian. And there, the series is frequently criticized for some sexism and racism, which I'm sure we will discuss when we get to it. I don't want to give out exact instances that are frequently cited because I want Asia's live reactions. But I can say, as someone who's read the series many, many times, that I can definitely think of cases for both of these off the top of my head. So we will unpack them when we get to them. This was written by a very Christian white man in the 1950s in the UK. So, you know, picture that. Yeah, I didn't realize that these books were actually written so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they were written like right after World War II. So that would make sense that they would have a bit of that sprinkled in. Absolutely. And we'll definitely be talking about the Christianity as well. I actually read an article once that Philip Pullman, he wrote his Dark Materials, And that was partially inspired, he was inspired to write that series, which, because he wanted children to have access to a children's story that was not as heavily Christian. So if you remember, we read his Dark Materials on the show, and it's very critical of religious extremism, religious dogma, and excesses of organized churches. If you remember, like the church goes crazy in that series, and they just start shooting people all the time. So he's very much... Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, they literally go to war because they're like, our interpretation of God is better than everyone else's. So, you know, he's really making a point there. And that Philip Pullman wanted to write a story for young adults that was different, that wasn't going to be just like Bible verses retold. So I mentioned that because we've read historic materials on the show. I think that's enough for now. Should we move on to the summary? Sure. So, since I am the newcomer, it is unfortunately my turn to do the summary. So, here we go. We read the entirety of The Magician's Nephew for this week, which, as Charles said, is chronologically the first Narnia book. 
So we start with Diggory and Polly, who are two friends in London who are tricked by Diggory's uncle into traveling into other worlds. In one world, they meet an evil witch queen called Jadis. Yeah. And bring her back to London, which is a disaster. So they bring her to a new world to get rid of her, which happens to be the world of Narnia as it is being born and started. As, oh my God, Aslan. Aslan. Okay. Aslan, the lion, (laughs) sings the world into existence. (laughs) We can already tell I feel about this. And creates talking beasts and tasks Diggory with planting a tree that will protect Narnia from the evil witch whom he brought into the new world. And that is the beginning of the comings and goings with Narnia. (laughs) So my impression of the story... I pulled that straight from the book. The comings and goings of Narnia. Yes. So it's clearly, my impression of the book is it's clearly, it's kind of setting up the world. As Charles said, this book was released later after like the first kind of like four books, which I'm assuming is going to be more of the action adventure. So really like not that much happened in this book or it just like, the characters were fine, but like I could tell that like we're probably not going to follow these characters anymore, at least like in the timeline that they are now. That's pretty clear. This is like set like years before again, because I have at least I've seen The Lion, The Witch in the Wardrobe. I've seen that movie. So like remember what happens that like this is way before that happens. So to me, honestly, the story felt a little bit unnecessary, especially with like how Narnia was being born. I just didn't see why we needed that explanation, but maybe I'll feel differently. But that was just ultimately my impression. So my impression was just like intense nostalgia. So I'm super excited to read these. My family had all seven audiobooks on DVD, on CD, and this will come to a surprise to literally as a surprise to literally no one knows since this podcast. But of course, when my family would go on road trips, we would listen to audiobooks. And that's why I became the crazy person I am. So I know a lot of this book, like, by heart, because we would listen to these audiobooks. Like, I can visualize the CD case that the books would be in. And each book was read by a different famous British actor. So certain books are, like, they're in a voice in my head. So this one is by Kenneth Branagh. Asia, who is Kenneth Branagh? I have no idea. Well, he played Gilderoy Lockhart in the Harry Potter movies. He's a super famous Shakespearean actor. He also quite famously played Henry V. And he directed Thor Ragnarok and Thor Original. Like, he is a quite famous actor and producer and director. But he's the person who does the audiobook for this story. So I read it in Kenneth Branagh's voice. And... I just, this story is so, so cute. And they're so British. Like, they're crying at the beginning. But you have and to they tell me this blubbing. is your least favorite book. Because I just feel like if there's a It's book, my least favorite of the series, okay. for sure. So that means it it's, can only go up from here. Because it wasn't terrible, it's, it's, but it was just, like I said. No, it's it absolutely, pointless. like, it's a whole book of exposition. Yeah, it's awful. It's not awful. But it's, I understand, it's definitely my least favorite. It's like, you know, when you read Harry Potter and you read book four and you're like... Obviously, this is everyone's least favorite. I, I mean, I know that's a hot take. I can't even tell you what even happened in book four, so, because again, I've only read it once. But, like, it doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means it's my least favorite. Well, anyway. I can say I didn't like it. <laughs> okay, or that's actually, so rude. No, no, no. I'm going back to you. 
I just don't care. That's going to be the new quote coming from Charles from the last series. I just don't care. I, I will say that is the feeling I had. It's not that I, I didn't hate it, like Divergent It's not or like Incarn. when you read Gathering Blue and you objectively hated it. Like, No, it was just like, I was a, just like, what am I reading? Like, when are we going to get to the exciting part? So I don't think that I'm going to feel that way with the whole series, but definitely like, this is the book. I could have skipped this one. Okay, well, let's get through it then so we can read the next one. So diving in, we get into a little bit of action, but can we even call it action? It was quite boring. Anyway, essentially, Diggory and Polly break into Uncle Andrew's study, and he immediately tricks them, or he tricks Polly. Charles does not know how to write a sentence. He immediately tricks Polly into taking a ring and going into a new world. And I just have to say, right off the bat, we already have our first sucky male character, Uncle Andrew, because he's tricked two little kids into going into another world to test his magic. He's literally using them as guinea pigs. So, yes, we started off very strong with an evil old man. Great. Men are going to make a lot of mistakes in this series. I just want to point that out. Like Mistakes? Like this is a conscious be, decision. I mean, he's evil, but there's going to be other, like, people who, like, make, like, frequently the men are stupid, which I'm not disagreeing with. He's obviously a terrible person, and the way he guilts Diggory into having to go after Polly is, like, evil. I will say he's kind of like a mad scientist, because, of course, he thinks that our universe is the center of all. You know how, like, when... Copernicus was figuring out the solar system. He was like, well, clearly everything rotates around us, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's kind of how he is with the rings. He, like, doesn't figure it out because he, like, couldn't even visualize that his world is in the center of all universes. It's Diggory who has to figure out the rings. Like, I just thought it was really funny that he was like, duh, this ring comes home. And Diggory's like, that's literally not how it works. Yes, well, that's a common theme in these young adult books that the kids are always smarter than the adults. So... Pretty predictable that they'd be smarter than him. So they do figure out the rings. And I'll have to say when they actually end up getting to this like first new world they decide to go to, which because basically they do the rings and they end up in this like kind of in between woods situation. The wood between the worlds. Yeah. And it like makes them sleepy. But then like when they're together, they're able to like wake up and there's all these little like pools and they basically have to jump into the pool with the other ring. With, like, the different colors. I can't remember because it was, like, one was yellow, one was green. They have to jump in with the other one to go into an actual new world. And so they find a new world. And in this world, there's, like, this big castle, basically. And they're, like, wandering it. And then they end up in this room. They haven't, like, seen any other people, any other living things. Like, they say how there's, like, not even, like, bugs or rodents or anything. Which I'm, like, that's my dream world. But anyway, (laughs) they... (laughs) Go into this, like, big hallway, and there's all... It's a room full of wax figures, which I'll say these two children are way braver than I am because they just walk into this room of, like, can you imagine, like, dead silence? Just a whole bunch of wax figures, like, looking in different directions. And as you get deeper into the room... Like, their faces get crueler looking and scarier looking. Like, just the thought of that gives me, like, the heebie-jeebies. Like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> my skin is crawling. That's so scary. And, like, how are Paul and Diggory not terrified? Like, dolls and stuff, that freaks me out. Like, what if one of them moves? Like, oh, my God. So that was my, like, oh, my God. So this is, like, one of the first things. They get in there, and it's, like, 
it's already a horror movie. Here we go again. <laughs> Please don't ever say heebie-jeebies again. That sounds so ridiculous. That is like the description because it's like it's creepy. It's not. It is it's creepy. It's not like scary. It's creepy it because creepy. you're just waiting for the jump scare to happen. I was I. The first few times I read it, I was always waiting for the jump scare. It's true. At this point, I know what happened, so I'm like, okay, we got to get out of Chan. We got to get this plot moving. But yes, I agree. It would be very scary, and I would not like it, but heebie-jeebie sounds like you're about four years old. Well, that's how old I would have been if I would have read these books when I was supposed to. Anyway, so then <sighs> the most predictable moment in the world happens because at the very, like, or not the very end of the room, but the end of this line of terrifying wax figures there's like this giant lady who like they say has like the most beautiful face but also like the most intimidating and like kind of scary whatever and like kind of like in front of her there is like this bell basically and on it it basically is like you know like ring this bell if you dare and of course the boy who's like we have to ring it and immediately the girl's like well no we don't we could just go home and like you know be logical and like not ring things in you know a world where there's no bugs so that's weird and we're in this really creepy room like when he of course he's like let's ring the bell and i'm like he's gonna ring the bell and all those people are gonna stand up and murder you like i understand <laughs> like he's the first person to die in a horror movie but anyway so diggory's like no we gotta do it and they kind of get in like a fight almost, basically. And Diggory just goes and he hits her. He hits her. He hits her. And he just rings the bell. So I was really scared in this moment because I was like, oh my God, all the wax figures are going to stand up and murder them or like do something. But just that queen, like really like regal looking lady at the like, so the scariest person in the room, the scariest one stands up and she wakes up. And this is Jadis, which is like, she's basically a scary witch queen. And she comes up to them and she starts talking to them about like basically how she destroyed this world with like her magical powers. So she's clearly proving to them that she's evil. So obviously, yes, like we said from the beginning, Polly was on the right page. This was a bad idea. But somehow after, you know, she talks about, you know, killing everyone or like freezing everyone. I was a little confused at this point because I was just scared. But basically she's clearly presented that she's evil. Diggory and Polly are like, they have to get out of there. So they try to escape. Like they put on the other ring to go back to like in between woods. And she like grabs onto one of them and they all end up there. Which so we learn that the, you don't just have to have on a ring to transfer between worlds. You just need to be touching someone. And but in the like in between woods, Jadis, the witch, she's like weakened by being in the woods because like it said how it made the kids sleepy. So she's weakened. And then, of course, again, boy, stupid is like, oh, my God, like, I feel bad for her. Like, she doesn't have her powers. And so he like hesitates because him and Polly are like going to go back to their world. But he hesitates, and then she grabs onto them, and they all go back to London. Because, again, the boys are always the stupid ones in these stories. Yeah, he was pretty stupid. Like, of course it was the boy who rung the bell. And she's like, and there's like a riddle on it that's like, if you don't ring, you'll go insane thinking about it. And Polly's like, well, or you could just ignore that. And he's like, I can feel it making me crazy. And she's like... And she's like, no, you can't. (laughs) Stop being dramatic. (laughs) Like, yeah, he was definitely being stupid. And, again, Jadis is just as evil as anyone you would expect who's in this magical, like, world. 
And, like, she literally just spent, tell, told them how she, like, killed everyone in the world, including her her sister. And, like, she froze the world in time because she, like, wouldn't get her way. Like, full-on Mary Hightower. And then he's like, oh, but she looks in pain in the wood in between the worlds. Yeah, like, so stupid. Yes, so they end up bringing her back with them to London. And Aunt Letty, Diggory's aunt, and Uncle Andrew's wife, I guess, Gets. No, they're they're siblings. Wait, really? Yeah, like she's like his sister, and she like takes care of him because he's. Did they ever explain that? Yes. Okay. It I doesn't matter, it. but it's like anyway, he's literally asking his sister aunt- for his money because he doesn't have a job because he's pathetic. Okay, well that makes sense then. Why? Because I criticized him, and I was assuming it was his wife. But still, same idea when back then. Like, what did women have? Why would you be asking any woman for money? Anyway, so Diggory's Aunt Letty ends up getting thrown across the room by Jadis, and she still isn't afraid, though, to call the police on her, while Uncle Andrew, once he, like, gets in Jadis's present, has just willingly become her slave. I mean, yeah, women are better than men. We say it constantly on this show. I'm not disagreeing. Luckily, Diggory is able to get them out of London, and they end up in a new world. And they hear this singing. It's a lion. The famous Aslan. And he's singing the world into existence. This is a beautiful and cinematic moment. Like, I get goosebumps every time I read this part. That's definitely not how I felt. But um, go ahead. I'll let you finish first. <laughs> I'm, you cannot see this because this is a video. This is an audio medium, listeners. But I'm rolling my eyes so heavily. So this I'm is, rolling my eyes even heavier. So this is where we get some... More more heavily. (laughs) This is where we get some strong Bible imagery of the world being created in seven days. The song obviously doesn't take that long, but it kind of follows the Genesis story. And Aslan, you know, in case you haven't figured it out, I hate to spoil, but Aslan is God. And he makes a man and a woman the king and queen of his new land, which... I've always, it's never sat that well with me. You're going to see this is a big motif throughout the whole series. That, like, a king, a man has to be the king of Narnia. And I'm like, it's a land full of magical creatures and talking animals. Like, we can't have a jaguar king? Like, it's got to be a human? Like, there aren't even that many of them. I mean, I guess he makes all the, all the animals are... Well, no, but all the animals aren't intelligent. He only, like... Yeah, only some of them can speak. two of each of, like, certain animals be intelligent. Yes. So I would say that would normally be, like, why why do humans rule? Because they're the most intelligent beings. I guess. Well, there's not that many humans in Narnia, as you'll see. But anyway. Anyway. Fine. Humans have to be in charge. So that's what I want to say about the creating of the world. You felt differently, Asia? I don't know how, but you felt differently? Well, before I get into that, though, you were saying how there's not that many humans. They also, because, like, they talk about the king and the queen. Like, I guess they have kids, and then, like, their kids, like, mate with, like, wood nymphs and stuff. So, like, there's, like, it's no longer human beings. But anyway, back to what I thought of that whole scene. I definitely felt kind of the opposite. It just felt a little ridiculous. Like, I can definitely understand why this book would not have gotten made into a movie, because... To me, it would just be absolutely ridiculous. Like, there's a giant queen. Well, it just queen. wouldn't sell. Like, it wouldn't sell. Like, what like, is the plot of this movie? movie? 
Like no a giant. Well, it. I mean, that's true. What's the plot? But also like this this giant queen. She's like beating up a horse, and there's a singing lion. Which <laughs> that which like at that point I was like, what is going on? What is going on? And also, I mean, I was imagining you know the opening scene of the Lion King, like the like that song, but not like the original masterpiece animated like i'm talking about the uncomfortable fake cgi live action where like the animals are talking and like crying like humans but like it's so weird to watch that movie is so weird don't talk so like no there is no way they could make this in a movie no one would see it because it would be so weird and awkward so this is where i definitely was like yep we definitely didn't need this book because i did not need all of that scenes with the animals coming to life and Aslan singing for like God knows how long. This was well, what was the song? Did it have words? Was he just vocalizing? <laughs> I think he was just vocalizing. I don't know which is worse. Like that sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> but don't you think it'll be cinematic to see like the land like no rolling and weird. growing into trees? It was weird. It was weird. Like I said, I imagined the Lion King, but like a thousand times worse than that, if that was possible. But what if the Lion King a thousand times better? It wouldn't be. Okay, wouldn't if you be. say so. Also, because well, like in the Lion King, like all the animals are singing, like it was just Aslan singing, like. Just him, like a soul of forever. I mean, I guess, I guess didn't it start like the stars were singing? Like, I don't know. I just imagine like, I think you could make a really funny parody off of this, but like to be taken seriously, no. Well, this book serves purposes for the, especially it'll tie back to the final book in the series. But it is setting up the world. I agree. It probably wouldn't sell that great. Is Narnia going to die at the end? I'm not going to tell you. But that, since you just said that, that's my assumption. That's my prediction right no, here. No, I'm... Okay, Narnia okay. is going to die. And maybe Aslan will sing a song for its funeral, and then he'll die too. <laughs> I don't know, but if it's anything like this, I hope it's not like this. See, Charles is like, I don't care, and I'm already like, I hate it. <laughs> I just have much stronger feelings. I don't hate it. I still feel like... This wasn't enough to ruin the series. It was just like, if the next book is like this, which I doubt it will be. If the next book was like this, we would not There's no it. singing lions in the next book. Hopefully not. I'm pretty sure. Like, 90% sure. I think he roars a couple times. That's fine. That's okay, acceptable. Well, you bring up the giant queen. I'm going to point out some things that I think are going to be important for us the series. She throws this lamppost at Aslan, and it grows into a lamppost tree. That is going to come up in future books, also, so just be aware of that. Also, like, if you look up maps of Narnia, there's an area on the map called Lantern Waste. That's this area near the lamppost. That's where this all takes place. And yes, Narnia is being born. It's the land of, as Aslan calls it, walking trees, talking beasts, and divine waters. So yes, you're going to literally have walking trees that have spirits that are alive, Talking beasts, as we discussed, and divine waters are going to be, like, supernatural god-like things in the world. It is fantasy for sure. Aren't you so excited for fantasy? No, I am absolutely not excited. But I will say, I do think that I remember the lamppost from watching the movie. Like, don't they, they like, come out near the lamppost. 
they come out I near do the remember lamp post. That. Yeah. But no, I am not excited also, for all like, this fantasy. Walking trees. Are you uh, kidding me? Oh my god. So where Asia and I live in Manhattan, we live in a neighborhood near a park, a quite famous park that is super hilly. And when it snows, it gets covered in snow. And there are beautiful, like, old lampposts in the park. And I love going on walks there when it snows because it looks like lantern waste. Like, it looked like if you sometimes there's so much snow, you can only see like one lamppost ahead in the park. And you're like, oh my God, it's like, and that's going to come into the next book, into Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But like, our neighborhood literally looks like an Arnia one in the winter. And I just think that's so magical. And I just want to point out the lantern because it's important. Good job. Another thing that's going to come up again, that's going to be important down the line, is some Christian imagery. Aslan is talking to the talking beast, and he says, I give you myself. This is going to be super important down the line, so put it in your bookmarks. <laughs> and we're getting that Wait, sacrificial kind Charles of saying, love. Write down your notes, as if we're not going to tell you <laughs> and remind you in the next episode. Well, Charles will, because I definitely won't be keeping track report. of these things. For your book report. This is important. He also says that when the witch comes, he's going to take the brunt of the pain and from the Wicked Witch. This is important. Put it in your notes. Also, Diggory asks, or Aslan asks Diggory if he knows him. Like, Aslan's like, do you know who I am? And Diggory's like, you're familiar. And I'm like, Diggory, you don't know him. He's a lion. He's a talking lion. You don't know him. But this is going to be important if you remember... When I said that Aslan is God, this is why. Because Diggory knows God, of course. Because, you know, he's a good little Christian boy. Have you been taking notes, Asia? Well, I mean, I would assume that the singing lion, yeah, who's creating this world, yeah, I think he would be some sort of God. I mean, not my God, but a God. I just wanted to know... I don't know if I want my God to be a singing lion of all things, but good for him. Okay. And then this is, I think, the last thing I have to say that is super important for the rest of the series. So, if you're reading, take note. Aslan warns them that you can return to being a dumb beast if you act like it. I'm leaving that there. Asia, why don't you take over? Okay. So, I don't know what... I don't know what that was in reference to. I don't even know what you're talking about. You have nothing to say? I I understand what you said, but I mean, I have no predictions. Like, okay, if you return to being a dumb beast, you'll return to being a dumb beast if you act like it. So if they act stupid, they'll lose their intelligence. Correct. I guess that's going to happen is what Charles is saying to somebody at least. Not necessarily, but it goes to what you were saying also, like that he picked certain, certain animals. He was like, you're good enough to get talking powers. Certain animals, not so much. So... It's stuff like what you said, like, you know, it does kind of follow, like, certain rules of intelligence. Like, we know as humans that elephants and dogs are pretty smart animals. And, like, you know, maybe mice, not so smart. So, like, he gives the power of speech to certain animals. Okay. And then, after this, Aslan gives Diggory the mission to go get the forbidden fruit and plant a tree from it, which... Wow, if that wasn't obvious, couldn't be more obvious. I was about to say, I was like, I hope Asia got this Bible moment right here. Yes. Yes, I did. 
for those of you who didn't, Forbidden Fruit, like in Genesis, you're, uh, wow, I'm forgetting. Eve is not supposed to eat the fruit, but she does. And Jadis does eat the fruit. She gains eternal life, and she's corrupted because of it. And Diggory does not. He goes, he gets the fruit, and he brings it back to Aslan, and we plant the tree. Also, I mean, he, Aslan literally refers to Diggory as son of Adam and Polly as daughter of Eve, like, a hundred times. That's also going to come up throughout the rest of the series. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've read the book so many times, it just, like, slips over my head. I'm like, every time they forget, they mention it, and I'm like, it's going to matter later. Which I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, are there, is that their parents' actual names? Like, is that supposed to be a coincidence, or it's just totally obviously, like... It's just to mention you came that they from were, Adam and Eve, like where all it, humans came from. It's to, it's to point out the fact that they were humans because most of the characters are not human. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that because I truly like when I read Son of Adam and Daughter of Eve in this story, I just like skip it. I'm just like, well, it was just really like it was one thing if they said it right at the beginning, but he says it like multiple times. Multiple so I times. was just again, if you didn't see the biblical references, like I feel like everyone knows what Adam and Eve is. Like you would have at least been like, God, he's like called them that like seven times already in like one page. So it is pretty heavy handed. Yeah. So back to the story, once the good guys come back and plant this tree with the, with the forbidden fruit, Diggory and Polly and whoever else they came with go back to London and Aslan like lets Diggory keep an apple from the tree that grows so that he can give it to his mom so that she'll heal because she was sick. And then basically there's like this huge time jump or whatever where Diggory take, oh, well, before the time jump, Diggory takes the core of the apple that he gave to his mom that healed her and he plants it in their back backyard to see if it'll grow because like a theme that's going on in Narnia is that like you plant something and then like five minutes later a whole tree has popped up. So I can't remember if that's exactly what happens in London if it pops up immediately or if it takes time. No. It takes time, right? It, it it grows like a regular tree. And in Narnia, Aslan even says it. He's like, it's not like a factory. Things are only growing because the world is being born. It's full of like new life. Things are going to grow at a regular speed from now okay. on. So anyway, but Diggory plants this tree from like the forbidden fruit apple. And it's a great tree or whatever. And then like time jump, I don't know, 20 years later, 30 years. <laughs> it's a great tree. It's a magnificent tree. All the anyway, are saying it's after a great the time tree. jump, you know, years and years later, there's like this huge storm that like knocks the tree down out of the ground. And Diggory's like, oh, this tree like the connects to like, you know, when I like went to that other world, but I've like never gone back. So he turns this tree into the famous wardrobe, which obviously, again, if you've ever heard of Narnia, that is the only thing I know. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So... Basically, the wardrobe was made from the wood of that fallen apple tree from the core of the Narnia apple that Aslan gave Diggory, which obviously is then your connection to that's why the wardrobe is magic, because it came from this magic tree, which is again where I was like, I guess that's an interesting connection, but like, I don't think I needed a whole book for that. Like, I feel like we could have gotten a short story. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty short book, but... Mm, it was a lot of unnecessary stuff in there. Well... Something that I've actually never noticed, but feels apt for adults. Aslan tells 
Polly and Diggory, that people can be as evil as Jadis in our world. And they can they have the power to end the world. He says something like, you know, be careful that when you go home, like you don't, you know, like people can be bad. And he's talking about people in our world being greedy and power hungry. And that he's kind of, I mean, we just talked about nuclear Armageddon last week when we covered the end of the Skinjacker trilogy. But if you imagine the context of when this book was written right in the 50s, this was written not, I mean, I don't know if C.S. Lewis was specifically thinking about nuclear Armageddon, but it definitely was on the forefront of his mind after the U.S. had used two atomic bombs in war and we were entering the Cold War. Like, I can completely understand that he would be warning that humans can do terrible things to each other. And this is something that Aslan is teaching them not to be. And I never noticed this line. It really, like, popped out of me this time. I won't say that I didn't notice that, but I think I was just so indifferent to the story by then that I just didn't care. I just don't care. Okay. As Charles would say. Well, that finishes the whole first book, which is so short and so sweet. Uh, Do you have any impressions? I mean, as if I haven't got my impression from what we've been talking about for the past 40 minutes. I do think, like I said, the story was cute. The characters were cute, I guess. But again, I just personally, I just didn't feel like I needed an explanation of like how Narnia was born. Like to me, the only like thing that I really got from this was like the wardrobe. At the very end, I was like, oh, that's like something I feel like is actually relevant. And I like that. But again, I didn't need like 200 pages for that explanation. But since this is only the first book, maybe I'll feel differently by the time we finish the series. But being honest with myself, I'm going to predict that that's not going to change. I'm sure by the end, I'm still going to be like, this book was unnecessary. But we'll see. I expect you'll probably feel that way just knowing you. You'll probably still feel that way. I I will agree. I think this is the least entertaining of the books. It does. It's going to connect to the other books, but it is. Well, it's also like how we've talked about how you're like, does the first book like have an ending or does it draw you in? This book alone does not draw me into the series. Like, which I feel like is just really unfortunate because, but like you said, really, if the second book is really like the first book he wrote, I think that based off of this, I feel like I'm going to say that this first book is like a prequel. It can be read, but it doesn't need to be a part of like you reading the series. Because to me, like if I read this book, like I would be turned off and be like, is this is what Narnia? Like if I had no idea about anything about Narnia, I'd be like, is this what it's going to be like? Because that was terrible. Whereas I think you're right. I think most people probably wouldn't start with this. And if you read all the rest of them and you read this at the end, you'd be like, aw, it connects. Yeah, because it would be kind of like a little throwback. You get a little bit extra information. But to like start the whole series with this is just like to, the book does not stand well enough on its own, I think. And I just think it would be unfortunate for someone to like not want to finish the series because they were turned off by this book. So yeah, I think that is how I'm going to feel. I think like, that's a really good point. It's not necessarily that like... You completely throw this one out the window. I think I personally wouldn't have read it or I wouldn't reread this one ever. Like if I reread the series, I think I could just always skip that one. But that's just my thought. I think that's a really good point. So I think we'll leave it there. Next week we will read the second and probably most famous book. Again, most famous blockbuster. It's been the most adapted. You know, 
we're going to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's book two. So if you read along, read that whole book for next week. Yeah. And as always, if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to, you know, let us know how much you disliked this first book too, remember that you can always stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm at seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoy our show, if you like it, you know, make sure you rate and review us. That's how we get boosted through podcast streaming platforms and make you know share it with the people you care about and then check out the other awesome podcasts we have over on the nerd party network and subscribe to our show so that you don't miss us next week when hopefully we convert asia we'll see but yes hit that subscribe button have a good one we will see you next week Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.